I just want to throw out there that being single is also a very valid, okay choice. And even though, yes, we have so many things that are telling us that we need to do certain things or live a certain way or look a certain way, and a lot of that is you are only a valid, worthy person if you have a spouse or partnerships or romance in your life. But I think of my mom who decided I'm not going to be in a romantic partnership and hasn't been for the majority of my life. And I think she's found so much peace. And so, yeah, I think, yes, if you want to go out and maybe eventually be in a romantic relationship again and find that that's the best thing for you and want to try it, go for it. But if you don't, that's also okay. It really is. And at times when I have been alone, it's been it's been healing. And I think both of you said that, that sometimes yeah. you just do need to heal and that being alone is the best way to do that. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're diving into some questions and answers from you, our amazing listeners. Each month, we have a Q&A post in our private Discord server and Facebook groups. So join those groups and look out for the post each month if you want to get your question answered on the show. This week, we have some questions about how to communicate honestly and sincerely in relationships besides just our romantic ones as well as some emotional challenges for de-escalating or breaking up, as well as some tips for opening up and starting a new relationship with someone new when you're already dating someone else. We're covering a broad range of topics in many situations in this episode, so we're so excited to get to these, and hopefully you find things helpful for your situations. Also, if you're interested in more of the communication tools, especially the ones that we will probably mention frequently in this episode, like Radar and the Triforce of Communication, you can check out our book by going to multiamory.com slash book, or you can go and listen to the first nine episodes of this podcast where we cover some of those fundamentals. So before we get to the questions, we have to give the disclaimer that while we have spent a lot of time studying and learning about healthy relationships and communication, we are not mind readers. Our advice is based solely on the limited information that we have with these questions. Please take it with a grain of salt. Everyone's situation is unique. We encourage you, of course, to use your own judgment. Seek professional help if it's needed. Ultimately, you are the only true expert on your own life and feelings. Your decisions are your own. But with that said, let's get started. Alrighty, the first question is kind of about our book, which is fun. <laughs> After doing the podcast all these years, how do you find you use the tools that are now in the book in your non-romantic relationships? Like, was it easier to communicate and navigate issues with your editor? Do you find yourself using the tools with relatives, like checking which kind of response the person is looking for? Good question. 
Yeah. Was it easier to communicate with our editor? I don't know. Like the, the book writing process took so long and there were so many <laughs> twists and turns and secret pits full of spikes that we fell into unexpectedly. And if anything, it did confirm to me just how communication in general is such a precious and, and delicate thing. You know, I will say that I think something that helped the three of us get through the whole process, because as Zedeker hinted, there were some some real stressful times and snags that came up, honestly, less to do with the writing of the book and more with all the other logistics around, you know, like the the printing and the layout and all those other details that had honestly not even occurred to me that that was going to be part of writing a book. But Hitting those snags, I think one of the tools actually from the book that we used a lot was microscripts. And basically, it's like something would happen that was really stressful. But usually between the three of us, someone would find something funny about it. (laughs) Or maybe once we'd all recovered, some kind of joke that we could reference again later. Uh, You know, some funny turn of phrase that someone used or whatever. And I think that we've become very good together of finding those little bits of idiosyncratic language, like those little things that we can whip out as a joke to make each other laugh and to diffuse some of the tension that can come with like just constantly having to make decisions and try to organize things when it's chaotic. I think a really common theme throughout the book is metacommunication and also sort of over-communicating, especially when you're Mm. doing a lot of that in written form it's difficult to kind of get nuance out of just writing something down. So I think you have to be extremely explicit in the way that you discuss and talk about something. And that was really necessary, especially when we're in Google Docs going back and forth with things like our editor or our publisher is stuff like that. And we really have to get like down to the nitty gritty and granular about what it is that they want from us and what it is that we need from them, things like that. Yeah, I would say to expand this, because the question asker also asked about using tools with relatives and non-romantic relationships in general, when I think over the process and I also think about all of my non-romantic relationships, I think probably the two tools that were the most within my grasp was either the Triforce, right? So... Mm Often that means not necessarily explicitly asking someone, hey, T1, T2, T3, (laughs) or needing to give them a monologue about, hey, so I use this particular formula for figuring out what you want to get out of the conversation. But just being aware of that metacommunication level of things and being able to say, oh, wow, that's that like, I'm so sorry that you're going through that right now. What is it that you need from me? Yeah, you know, would it be helpful if yeah. you want to sit and like brainstorm about next steps or do you want to just kind of talk through it and get your feelings out, right? You know, so sometimes it's like massaging it and like translating the multi-amory ease into hmm. what, I don't know, a language that's maybe a little bit easier to understand out in the non-podcasting world. And I think outside of that also, probably like the boundaries tool, Honestly, I Mm -hmm. I think once we start getting into business related things where I don't know, I I think having a really clear sense of what do you feel okay with someone asking from you? When when do you feel okay saying no? When do you not feel okay saying no? And like really getting into the nitty gritty of what's the resistance to putting up a boundary here is a boundary a most appropriate thing for this situation. I would say those are the things that have been the most helpful to me. 
Yeah, one thing I was going to throw out there that this has come up for me, especially in work situations, but also with certain family members or friends, where the way that we often talk about the Triforce is, you know, in that idea of like, do you want advice or do you just want some emotional support? Right. Like between Triforce two and three, that like tends to most often be the two that get confused. You know, one, someone wants one and you give them the other. And so what I found though is that in a lot of situations, like in the workplace, to say like, do you just want some emotional support? Like it doesn't feel like an appropriate thing to say. And so that one's, I've, I've been still trying to refine this, but trying to figure out like what's the best way to present that option. And so what I've come up with so far is just going for support mostly like, oh my gosh, yeah, totally. Yeah. And then kind of wait for them to ask a question, like something that's more clearly a question before I start jumping in with advice. So I feel like sometimes just starting with that, but like listening out for the like, are they asking for something specific versus are they just kind of venting, right? Are they just kind of, are we just bonding by them venting over this thing? Or, you know, or, or is there a real question here? And that's been something that I think being aware of the Triforce has made me much more in tune with that. Like, is there really a question here? Or am I just trying to jump in and tell them how to do things when there's really no question? I think that's huge. And something that I hope a lot of people who read our book take away from it is being better listeners as well. Mm. And just the importance of being able to try to see what it is that the person across from you needs rather than you jumping to the conclusion that you already know what it is that they need. And I think that's that's huge. And that's something that so many of us just automatically do because a lot of us are very ego driven and believe that we just have the answer, even if we don't or even if the person wants something other than that. So I would hope that, yeah, exactly what you just said, Jace, that like you take the time to listen and to respond in a way that clearly is what they're wanting from that interaction rather than just automatically thinking, I know what's best and I'm going to give it to you. Hmm. Yeah. This next question is actually a little bit related. So this one goes, how do you have open and honest conversations about expectations, boundaries, and emotional attachments with friends or anyone that you have close, non-romantic, non-sexual relationships with when the wider culture only assumes that these conversations are the sole remit of romantic or sexual relationships? There's almost an assumption in the society we live in that these kinds of Love relationships just run on autopilot and we only ever talk to partners in serious, committed relationships. Mm. Any attempt at having conversations about these relationships can sometimes be misconstrued as attempting to escalate the relationship or to turn it into something else. This gets especially messy when other friends might not be on the same page with, you know, relationship anarchy or just kind of being aware of these concepts of communicating intentionally. This, I mean, yes, all of this is so true. That's just like, yes, yes, we need to talk about this one. Yeah, I'm trying to think back to any time I've had a friend approach me wanting to check in on something or have like one of those quote unquote serious, like we got to talk conversations, which I, I don't think we're used to having with our friends unless something's really wrong. You know, like we really got to work some stuff out. And I'm trying to think about what helped that to feel normal. 
I, I don't know, just I, I think just being forthright, like like instead of it just being like, hey, can we have a check in or mm. a, hey, can we talk conversation being more specific about like, hey, I've had X, Y and Z on my mind lately. I This is what I'm hoping for. If we can talk about it, maybe I want to clarify this is what I'm not hoping for. Like, I'm not hoping that you think that I have some sort of weird agenda or or get freaked out or something like that. You know, can we take an hour to grab a coffee and talk about X, Y, and Z or whatever it is. So I think for me, it's just, I don't know, really being radically honest about what's going on. But again, I, I recognize that, of course, there's always the risk that you're going to run into just the weirdness of like spooking somebody, right? Someone who doesn't understand because you're kind of, maybe it's dramatic to say you're breaking the social contract, but you're definitely pushing the envelope of the social contract, hmm. right? Because it's true. It is this assumption that like, oh, it's not appropriate for a friendship to have these kind of conversations or, you know, that's weird. Like you're only going to do that if you want to really get intimately closer to someone. So, so again, I, I think it's always going to be that tension and that finding that balance. Right. I'm also trying to think about how this has shown up either in things that I've brought up with partners or that they've brought up. And the thing that keeps coming to mind is, you know, when, when we're in uh, a relationship that we're approaching intentionally and this question asker very nicely points out that even in the world, like even in the larger culture where most people are not very intentional about their relationships, period, there is still at least a bit more intention with the way most people approach their romantic and sexual relationships, at least once they get to the point of like committed or official or or whatever, right? There's that like, okay, now I've given it a label. This is something that there's a certain expectation I'm going to put some effort and thought and communication into the degree to which that communication actually shows up, whatever, that's another question. Um, but I think that when you're outside of that type of relationship, the idea of doing something like a full-on radar, where you're kind of like, let's sit down and really talk through the aspects of our relationship, how can we improve it, what do we want to work on, things like that, feels like that's where you can very quickly make someone feel like, oh gosh, is this becoming a much larger commitment than I thought? Are you trying to escalate this into something, even if it's not sexually, but is this becoming something that I'm not ready to like take on all this extra emotional work and, and burden and stuff like that? So what I feel like I've seen be more effective is kind of kind of like Dedeker mentioned of like bring up a specific topic. It's like, hey, I want to talk about you know, this thing has been on my mind about like the amount of alone time I have. And I was wondering like, if you could help me out with that. Cause like, sometimes I get overcommitted with work and you know, my friends and stuff and just like, help me, re help me remember that as kind of a cue for also them to realize if you're not hanging out with them, it's not personal against them. It's just, I need more of my alone time as an example. Right. Or maybe talking about, um, like expressing appreciation for something that they did if it is kind of like, I have, I would like to have an expectation that this friend would, you know, be someone that I can talk to when something difficult happens in my life, that maybe you do that once, communicate to them afterward. That really meant a lot to me. Like that, I really appreciated that. And this is on my mind, actually, because I just sent a message kind of like that to a friend of mine earlier today, or maybe last night, I forget, but kind of being like, hey, you know, I didn't say it at the time, but I just wanted to say I really appreciated your support the other day and your encouragement and things like that. That really meant a lot to me. And, you know, our relationship was comfortable enough that I could say things like that. I wouldn't say that necessarily in all my different relationships. But in that case, it was like it helped to 
positively reaffirm the things I wanted without being like, we need to sit down and have a talk. So that's kind of what's popping into my mind right now. I'm curious if, if anyone else has some cool ideas on this. I feel like so many of these conversations only occur with somebody that's not romantic if you are in conflict with them. And mm. I think that's the really mm. challenging part about all of this. Like I think about a particular relationship, a particular friendship where there was a lot of turmoil in that friendship for a time. And when we sort of repaired it, that happened after a lot of like letter writing to each other, not necessarily seeing each other that much. And then finally kind of coming back together and more firmly establishing things like boundaries mm. within that relationship, things that we felt like we were okay or not okay to talk about. Like if you start discussing this particular thing or saying this particular thing, maybe I'm just going to take myself out of the conversation, stuff like that. But it's tough because I would like to include those types of conversations in a relationship that's not romantic when it is going well or even before that even becomes an issue before like mm. the need for repair becomes an issue and that's a really tough one i agree i i think maybe if you establish it up front in a friendship especially if you feel like hey like i'm getting really close to this person i really want them to be in my life in a meaningful way and i would love to do the relationship anarchy smorgasbord with them and kind of talk about, you know, what their thoughts of this relationship are and what what they're excited to include in it or not. You know, if we want to go on a trip together or something like that, then maybe we mm. can come up with a game plan for that through a monthly radar check in or do like a, a short truncated period of time where something like a radar could be implemented. I mm. think it's it's interesting because when you're not enmeshed with a person day in and day out, like you potentially would be with a partner, it's like, why do you need these types of really granular communication tools? But I love the idea that you could incorporate them and that and we, uh, we clearly talk about the fact that you should incorporate them. <laughs> but I agree with <laughs> this question asker that it is an, an interesting conundrum of when is the right time. A social puzzle, yeah. Yeah, a social puzzle, love that. I don't know if this is exactly in line with the question, but it is making me remember an article I read in the New York Times a few months ago that was talking about setting up an eight-minute phone call with your friends. Hmm. Like, it's specifically eight minutes. Okay. And kind of the idea being that it's like getting yourself to stay in connection with your friends but we all have busy lives and families and jobs and, you know, a full calendar or whatever it is, right? And so often we have these friendships where maybe we've drifted apart, maybe they moved across the country, you know, maybe it's just difficult for it to get our schedules in line. And so the article was all about kind of pitching your friends on like, hey, let's just literally take eight minutes. We're just going to talk on the phone and like, that's hmm. it, right? Mm. And just talk about our day, talk about our lives, you know, whatever. And... So so it's the kind of thing that makes me think of maybe it's less about, hey, I need to pitch you on a formal radar, and maybe it's scaling that to something that makes more sense, right? Yeah. For the level of entanglement of the relationship and closeness and things like that. Maybe it is, hey, can can we have like Friday morning tea together 
Or is it literally just can we have an eight minute phone call on Saturday morning? Right. You just do to, to Marco Polo with some of your friends, Dedeker. That made me I think. Do, of I used that. to Marco Polo back okay. in the day. Now I'm more likely to exchange like like audio messages on a regular yeah. basis. Things That's like really unique that. to me. Like yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, I, I wouldn't generally do that. But I think that that's really interesting too, because you, you may have a time where you're like, you know what, I don't really want to do that anymore. And I appreciate the fact that just because you establish one thing in a relationship doesn't mean that it has to continue forever. You can change and update and being able to have these types of communication discussions with people, I think, makes it possible for you to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, maybe the takeaway, I guess, that I would like is, unfortunately, we're not in a culture where we can just flip a switch and everyone's very relationship anarchy versed or educated and everyone's Mm -hmm. just so comfortable to be blurring the lines between you know, what's reserved for romantic relationships versus what's reserved for friendships. But we can find ways to sprinkle in little bits of intentionality. We can find ways to, you know, slowly enroll the people closest to us in the ways that we like to communicate with them, which maybe it is, hey, part of being my friend is I I like to use the Triforce or Mm. I like to have a check-in occasionally or I like to create these rituals like a regular eight-minute phone call, right? So, Maybe it's not going to be a carbon copy of the intentionality and tools that you bring to your romantic relationships, but there's still ways that we can sprinkle that in, I think. I think just one last thing that occurred to me I wanted to throw in here is for uh, for the men out there listening, when it comes to your male friendships, I have found, and you know, your mileage may vary depending on your social circles, but I have found that both myself and my male friends who are not at all in the relationship anarchy world or non-monogamy world or any of this kind of stuff, very much not, don't listen to the podcast, don't, any of that, right? That I've found that finding a way to give those messages, kind of like the one that I mentioned earlier of that, like, hey, I just wanted to say I really appreciated you supporting me or like, you know what, I think it's really been awesome how you've been around to help out like since my kid got born like I really appreciate that or you know whatever it is those kinds of things that I think as men sometimes we're discouraged from being sort of emotional and sentimental in that way with our guy friends I found it it it's almost always I, I can't even think of an exception always received really well and so I would also just throw that out there for anyone who's having that struggle to be like go for it. Like find a way that feels genuine and and you think your friend won't feel as weird. But I think that most people are more comfortable with kind of that like emotional appreciation and sharing than you might think they would be. Just to throw that out there. Love that. Well, I hope I hope we answered the question. We got pretty broad with that. <laughs> I, I think it was the question covered a broad discussion. range. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Okay, I'm going to move on to this next question. This is also a longer one, but I think very important and relevant. How do you deal with feeling undesirable because it feels like every piece of mainstream media is telling you that someone like your partner would rather be with someone of a different gender or presentation or appearance? And on top of that, they have other partners who are more similar to that. Okay, so they give some backstory to to clarify all that a little bit. Uh, My partner is amazing and does so much to make me feel loved, desired, and wanted on a regular basis. 
For context, my partner is a very gender conforming but, but pansexual man, and I'm a very gender non-conforming androgynous transmasculine person. Whenever he has partners who are women or more feminine, I feel like they must be preferable to me because it feels like society says femininity is the most attractive thing to men. I don't know if this would be considered heteronormativity or internalized transphobia or not, but it makes me feel bad on a regular basis. And the kicker is he said multiple times that an androgynous presentation like mine is the most attractive thing to him, but I just never see that sentiment expressed in the outside world. I have a lot of thoughts about this, but yeah, do y'all want to sound off first? Yeah. And it translates to so many other things besides oh God, this yes. specific one, right? It mm-hmm. could be about your anything, your anything about your appearance, your kind of outward presentation to the world. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There's yeah. so many things. Yeah. 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 So I, I was going to go ahead and clarify that I know I personally don't have this exact lived experience, but again, I, I can think about many different proxies, right? Of feeling like, oh, the mainstream is kind of setting up that my partner would probably like someone of this particular body type instead, or just of a particular, I don't know, physical or a kind of appearance type in general, or maybe someone who acts in a particular way or has a particular type of job, right? Like we're all living, unfortunately, in the flow of there being, I don't know, particular stories and images presented to us of like the way that things should be or what we should find attractive or what we should find sexy, right? And I think that this is an issue where, of course, there's going to be an internal piece to this and there's going to be an external piece to this, right? So the internal piece is the, yeah, you can examine, is this my own internalized transphobia, internalized misogyny, internalized whatever, right? You know, you can think about what counterspells help you get through that. You know, what are the affirmations? Like, what is what are the ways that you can affirm your own desirableness, your own worthiness? Um, you know, you can go and get support. You can work it out with a therapist. You can find other people who you feel like are similar to you, who maybe share some of the same frustrations, and you can vent those frustrations and things like that. Um, I know for myself, it's really important for me to be aware of like my own media diet, right? That like if I'm still consuming a media diet or a social media diet that reinforces a lot of those things, it, it can really make me feel shitty about myself very quickly. So that's the internal piece of it. But then there's also an external piece of that. And I think the external piece breaks down into looking at your own relationship, you know, looking at your partner and then also looking at your world, right? You know, I think the relational part, it sounds like this person's partner is very supportive. You know, they've clarified that their partner is very supportive, makes them feel loved, desired, sexy, stuff like that. You know, but I think you can still talk about it with your partner, right? Like if it sounds like this channel of communication is open. And I think this is a great conversation, again, to really use the Triforce to clarify, you know, because it could be, hey, I want to talk to you about something that I'm struggling with and some feelings that come up for me and let's brainstorm on like a way that could help make that feel better. Or it could just be, I don't need you to do anything different. I don't even need your sympathy. I just need you to hear me. And I just need you to see that like this is something that comes up for me, right? Mm. I think that can be super helpful. And again, I I think if you have a partner who is receptive to that and you're able to have this conversation at a time where you're calm, you're connected, you're feeling safe, could probably be a really good conversation. And then when we look externally to just the world, I don't fucking know. Like, it's, <laughs> like we're all 
It's frustrating. It's frustrating, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's frustrating for me, and I live in a body that's that's you know considered conventionally attractive by many standards, right? I have my own particular corners of quote unquote like weirdness or quote unquote not being desirable, but like even for me, for most of us, it's frustrating. Yeah, yeah even like Emily Ratajkowski probably feels less than in some way at times. I, I don't I'm know sure. who that is, but she, sounds no like she has a hot name. What? So I assume she's that... very, to me, very, very, very attractive. <laughs> but no, 100%. Like, yeah, I, I said earlier, like the aging thing. And that's that's been so difficult for me as I've continued to age because you look at old pictures of yourself or you look at people who are younger than you and you just know like, yeah, I mean, I'm never going to be that again. But it is what it is. And we don't, it, so many people don't even get the opportunity to age. So I think it's it's important to embrace the parts about yourself that you can love when you can. And that's easier said than done. And I also, this is also easier said than done, but believe your what your partner tells you about how much they love and respect and care and find you attractive. And it may not matter in the grand scheme of things at times, but if there are moments where you can grasp onto that realization and that knowledge that I'm with someone who really treasures me in all of the ways that they tell me they do, and that's what I should focus on believing. Yeah, something that the question asker here brought up that that we didn't read in the question because we tried to trim it down a little bit, but was talking about if you know if they watch uh, movies or TV shows that like all the attractive people in the show are a certain way and tend to be feminine is like the thing that's desired, right? And uh, also talking about their partner's TikTok feed being filled with all these conventionally attractive, very feminine people and being like, oh gosh, that's that's what he's seeing all the time. That must be what he wants. And I just wanted to bring back and, and emphasize again what Dedeker talked about with the social media diet, mm. that it's, yeah, that the fact that that's what's out there and whatever it is, right? It could be about attitudes about money or attractiveness or race or like all sorts of things, right? In addition to gender here. But just like really being aware of what you're consuming and seeing if there's any ways that you can be consuming media that is different from that and is more of a variety than that. I would recommend this just in general for everybody, actually, even if it's not just about your own personal feeling of self-worth and desirability, but just in general, it's great to expose yourself to more things and kind of broaden your horizons in terms of who gets portrayed as powerful, who gets portrayed as sexy, who gets portrayed as I don't know, masculine or feminine or any of those things, right? Who gets portrayed as intelligent even? Like there's lots of different ways this can look. E you know, easier said than done, like everything. Uh, but, but like looking out for those things, like seeing if there are some influencers that you can follow who do have a more like positive way of expressing something different than that mainstream or looking for uh, you know, films and TV shows, a lot of times if you broaden out to look for shows and films from other countries that have slightly different beauty standards, you know, a lot of it's pretty universal worldwide because of the dominance of, you know, certain cultural ideas in media. But like you can still get a lot more variety 
than you would get just watching kind of the mainstream blockbusters and things like that, you know, watching more independent films. I've been thinking about this too, in terms of games, like if you play video games or things like that, that it's like you have to find them, but there are a lot of games now made by people who are very specifically being like, yeah, I want my protagonist to not just be a white guy, right? I'm going to have to do something different with this. They're going to have a different body type. Or like dating simulators, where the people that you're meant to be attracted to and want to date in the dating simulator have different body types and races and gender identities and things like that. They exist. And the good news is, you know, you can leverage the algorithms for good as well. So as you start changing your social media diet and what games you download and what movies you watch, those services are going to start recommending to you more things like that. Right. So if you're watching all this mainstream stuff, you're just going to get more and more of that because it assumes that's what you want. Like it's not going to encourage you to broaden your horizons. You've got to bring that piece and hopefully it, it helps you with that. Yeah. Coming back to the whole world question, I'm afraid I only have complaints. I don't have solutions. Uh -huh. What are some of those complaints? <laughs> well, something that has frustrated me for a long time now is I've made this effort for a few years now, right? Of, okay, I'm going to I mean, I'm I'm mostly off social media these days, but when I was more active on it, it was like, okay, I'm really going to tailor my feed to feature, you know, different body types, both men, women, non-binary people, things like that, different people being portrayed as sexy, different people being portrayed as powerful, like Jace was saying, different people being portrayed in different types of relationships that maybe you wouldn't expect based on the mainstream. And, you know, we've seen corporate culture and advertisers start to pick up on this, right? You know, I think it was so famous when Dove started doing their body positive right. campaign, you know, which still had a lot of its own problems, right? But but I think especially in a lot of the stuff that gets marketed to women, like in beauty products and fashion products, I'll see like, oh, wow, you know, they have all these plus size models or this model with acne or a model with vitiligo or uh, or an aging model, you know, an older model, a, a model with gray hair or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. And then I'm like, wait, why the fuck aren't you showing this to like straight men? You know, <laughs> like why the fuck aren't you also changing the story over there and like portraying all these different women because as sexy patriarchy. also there? Yeah, no, I know. And it just like freaking gets my goat. That's and that's the that's the mildest way that I can say it. And I know that starting to change, you know, I know what was it last year? Sports Illustrated finally had a plus size like cover model for their swimsuit addition like it's starting to change but okay how do i turn this into solutions okay to let's see can i turn this car around into solutions i think well it gives me a new appreciation for anyone who puts themselves out there whether you are someone who's super famous or whether you just like started an only fans because you were bored or whatever it is like if you don't have a body type that's considered conventionally attractive right or you don't fit the mainstream and you're still putting yourself out there as sexy and desirable and confident, it helps. It does help. I'm not saying that like this is what we all have to do, but it's that kind of same thing of like representation helps, awareness helps people who do feel like they can connect to their own sexiness and desirability and have ways of expressing that and showing that. I think that helps. Does that track? I know, I know that's only one small piece of a very large puzzle with very, very large, far-reaching implications and systems that have been in place since long before we were born. But I guess that's where all my complaining has led me to in this particular moment. 
Yeah. And I think that just being aware of what we consume and all of us together being like, yeah, let's look for more than just that typical thing. Because clearly with these companies, right, it's like they see, okay, someone's responding when we start showing something different. And so the more of us who respond positively to that, I do think it helps. I know it's, you know, frustratingly slow and frustrating to have to rely on capitalism to do that work, but that's the world that we're in, right? That's where we are right now. And so just one of the many little things that we can do is making our own content, like Dedeker mentioned, or being proactive about looking for content that's different from that mainstream. Like, again, when it comes to movies or shows or video games or things like that, or even YouTubers or TikTokers or anything like that. And before we move on to our last couple questions for today, we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show if you appreciate getting to have these resources and all of this information on the podcast out there in the world for free. The best things that you can do is to become one of our supporters on Patreon or to go check out our book at multiamory.com slash book or go to your local bookstore and find Multiamory Essential Tools for modern relationships. And then the next best thing that you can do is to take a moment, check out our sponsors for this episode. If any of them seem interesting to you, go check them out. It does directly help support our show. And if not, just taking the time to listen also helps us to get that sponsorship from those companies. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store, and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. So let's move on to the next question. Have any of you experienced having multiple breakups or de-escalations and found yourself on the other side with little or no desire to connect with someone new? 
I've been having the experience over the last couple of years of desirelessness, even when being presented with ostensibly good options to connect. I found that connected to my grief is a feeling of numbness or repulsion around romantic and physical and deep emotional intimacy. If I'd been experiencing this all along, I'd probably see myself on the ace spectrum. But now I'm beginning to worry that I could actually get used to being alone. It feels bizarre, maladaptive, and it's starting to scare me. I feel like I'm only recently coming out of it, but so many of the feelings I used to feel easily seem inaccessible. Yeah, I just wanted to start out by saying I I really related to this question when this came in, and that's why I wanted to be sure that we talked about it on this episode. And I guess I just want to start with the, the big thing that I think is worth acknowledging here is based on when you're asking this now, you know, I don't know the timing of all of this, but something that I've been trying to be really aware of for myself is, is the significant emotional impact of a pandemic happening during these last few years. Mm. And that I think that it's led myself, and I feel like I've seen this in a lot of other people, to have a little bit more of this, I guess I call it a numbness, or like a just not connectedness or just like can't get excited about anything because it could all be taken away from you again at any moment. I think we had so much like back and forth during the pandemic and there's still a lot of, you know, fear and concern and worry and it divided a lot of people and challenged a lot of relationships. And so even if these breakups and things happened before that, like in my case, you know, my last like de-escalation or breakup was right before the pandemic started. But still, it was like that kind of compounded that. It's like, oh, you're dealing with some grieving. And then also like everybody's grieving our world kind of changing out from under us in a way and and hasn't gone back, right? Like, let's face it, you know, some people are like, wow, pandemic's over. Gosh, that was wild. But it's like the world has changed and it'll never be the same for any of us. And we've all changed. And like, so I guess I just want to start by saying like, acknowledge that and don't think, oh, something's just messed up with you you know, some or something's messed up with me because I, I feel differently or I have a harder time getting excited about new relationships or, you know, kind of having that easy access to some feelings is something I've been going through as well. And I feel like we've talked about it a little bit on this show in the past, but just that idea of it's like hard to find some excitement sometimes or maybe some like courage or bravery or enthusiasm that I used to have uh, is harder to find. And I think yeah, I think the pandemic is a significant part of that. Again, without knowing how soon after these breakups this question was asked, it's hard to tailor the answer. But I think this experience of not having the desire to connect, sometimes it can show up even more dramatically as that sense of, oh, he'll never love again, or, oh, it's just not worth it to put myself out there, or I'm going to swear off dating, or whatever it is. I think that having that sense is actually adaptive. If you think about it, especially when you're still recovering, like it's adaptive, right? For your your heart and your brain to be like, don't do that thing again that you're hurting from. Like, let's right. let's just not do that, right? You know, so, so it's your nervous system and your brain and heart looking out for you to feel those things, right? To put you in this kind of low energy state or maybe just like a low craving state, a low desire state that, there's probably a reason for that. And so 
if these things are still relatively fresh, I'd like to reassure people that they don't need to get freaked out by that. Like it's okay. And maybe even when you're in the thick of it, to even indulge that a little bit. Over time, that does shift for most people, right? And so again, I mean, because the question asker is saying, I'm beginning to worry that that this is not a good thing for me, that this is bizarre and this is maladaptive and this is scary. I don't know. I, I think it's the kind of thing where, again, to rope it back to the pandemic, that if you're finding yourself not wanting to connect to anybody, and I'm talking not even just romantic, like not even connecting to friends or to family members or stuff like that, if it's becoming easier to just get used to being isolated and alone, that's when I would start to worry a little bit. Unless you're doing something very intentional, like you're a monk and you're going to go live in a cave for a year to deepen your spiritual practice, like that's different. But in this case, I think if it were me, I would take it beyond looking at it through a romantic lens and more looking at, am I getting intimacy and connection and socialization anywhere? Even if it's with people I already know, it doesn't have to be about going out and making new friends, but like, am I staying in touch with the people that I love and care about? You know, am I at least getting some type of intimacy and closeness? And I think that's the first place that I would look before being worried about like, should I be wanting romantic intimacy or not? Something else I just wanted to jump in with, because this is something I've been talking to my therapist about now for several months, is um, when you're thinking, if it's specifically about dating, right, and kind of wanting to feel that desire or that excitement again, like about having interest in it, that one of the things that that he's talked to me about is this idea of just really thinking through like, okay, have you ever, you know, had good dates before, right? <laughs> Starting with that and being like, okay, yeah, sure, of course. You know, and how how did that go? Was that a good experience? You know, was that positive? It's like, okay, yeah, yeah, I can think about sometimes and it has been. And just kind of like reminding myself that I do have some historical evidence that dating can be fun, <laughs> can be exciting, right? I also have historical evidence that it's stressful or scary that I feel like I screw up or that someone's weird to me. Like, there's all that too, but it's like those things are easier to go to for me right now. So really consciously trying to remember, yeah, sometimes this goes great, right? You know, this is sometimes this is, you know, when I met Dedeker or Emily or, you know, someone else important in my life, or maybe they became a best friend or something like that. Like, yeah, I've got a lot of those really good examples and, you know, I've got some bad ones, which are easier to think of. But then the, the, the second part of that is, that just thinking like that has not changed it overnight for me. It's like, I feel like I got discouraged a little bit of being like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. I can think about that. And then just still feeling like, nope, I just don't, I'm just not feeling it. But kind of thinking, okay, you know what? I'm going to give it some time. Let myself think about that a little bit. Let myself process it. Kind of play with the idea of, oh, I could maybe go on a date. That'd be interesting. Oh, no, I don't know. And kind of like let it go back and forth and let myself kind of gradually work toward that and think about that and stay open to those possibilities rather than like, it's just so easy to go to a place of like panic and worry about like, oh gosh, what if I'm broken and this isn't ever going to fix, but instead like really trying to lean into being patient while being proactive in changing it. I just want to throw out there that being single is also a very valid, okay choice. And even though, yes, we have so many things that are 
like our last question, telling us that we need to do certain things or live a certain way or look a certain way. And a lot of that is you are only a valid, worthy person if you have a spouse or partnerships or, you know, romance in your life. But I think of my mom, who very much decided I'm not going to be in a romantic partnership and hasn't been for the majority of my life. And I think she's found so much peace not being in in any romantic partnerships, and that is great for her. And it used to make me wonder, you know, oh, would she be happier with somebody? Would would things be different for her in her life? But I, I really, truly think that she's extremely content in her singleness and that that is the best thing for her at this point. And she gets sort of romance through movies or, or or in other various ways and that is totally okay and has a lot of great relationships outside of just romantic partnerships a lot of great friendships our relationship is really strong and so yeah i think yes if you want to go out and maybe eventually be in a romantic relationship again and find that that's the best thing for you and want to try it go for it but if you don't that's also okay it really is. And at times when I have been alone, it's been it's been healing. And I think both of you said that to a degree, like that sometimes yeah. you just do need to heal and that being alone is the best way to do that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, being being overpartnered and not getting any alone time is also a real problem. Yeah. So yeah, maybe another thing just that my therapist brings up a lot is remembering that everything is a season. Mm. You know, in a not in a seasons of love, but in a seasons of life kind of way where it's just like, yeah, things are going to come and go and they're going to change and they're not ever going to be exactly the same, but that also they are going to change again, right? It's like, I'm never going to go back to exactly the way it was before, but I'm also not going to stay exactly the way I am now forever. And that these seasons have external factors like the actual seasons or pandemics or our jobs or our relationships with other people. And then there's also internal motivations for the seasons, kind of like the question asker is saying here and like I've been talking about. So I have found, even though every time he says it, I'm like, ugh, yeah, <laughs> I, do, I do think there's a lot of truth to it of remembering, yeah, nothing's permanent, that things are going to change and, you know, both for good and bad, but just realizing like I'm not stuck here forever. That was beautiful, Jace. Thank you. You can give credit to my therapist. Oh, I will. <laughs> Thank you, therapist. Yes. You can thank my therapist. Tell tell him how beautiful it was. <laughs> I can't take credit for it. All right. Last question for today. Taking a little bit of a turn here. This one's about starting new relationships. I guess that's actually a nice segue here. Mm -hmm. So the question is, what should you be mindful of as a hinge when starting a new relationship? How can you make sure that your existing partners feel nurtured and reassured? So just to clarify, right, the, the hinge means I have one partner and I'm going to start dating another one. and Those two are not dating each other. So, yeah, what do we got? Intentionality, like first and foremost, in the way in which you go on dates and make special, meaningful time with those people that are already established in your life. I think that so many of us will spend all our time getting sexy and 
all of these things for our new relationships. And we kind of tend to put those old ones in the corner and maybe just hang out on the couch with them and watch a movie, but don't take the time to really go out and and make those very special, meaningful times as well with them. So I'd say like, if you can, for every fun date that you go on with some new person, maybe make sure you also go on a fun date with that established person. That's really well thought out and intentional. Yeah, I like that. I also think that part of that encourages not rushing too fast on the new relationship as well. Because it can be easy to be like, okay, all of my time and resources are going to go toward this new person because I'm excited about that. But if you are very conscious about, I also want to be giving energy to my existing relationships that I value a lot. It can almost kind of force you to pace yourself a little bit on the new relationship, which can also end up having a lot of benefits of not kind of overcommitting yourself and then having to step that back, which is something we've talked about before on the show, or just kind of rushing into their life too much when they're not ready for it just because you're excited about it like there's a lot of problems with rushing in and so i love that that both is helping to nourish your existing relationships and also kind of helping to pace you without like artificially putting on the brakes or anything it's like yeah i've just got other stuff going on too that i should pay attention to because in the long run if this new relationship sticks around that that is the reality right that you'll have both relationships or however many relationships and you'll want to put your energy toward all of them. I think it's important very early on to have conversations about relationship overlap and relationship entwinement. So, you know, going in and not assuming everyone is equally comfortable with crossing paths with their metamor, for instance, or assuming, oh, yeah, we're all on board that the end goal of this is going to be kitchen table polyamory or things like that. If you're confused about all of that, you can go listen to our episode 322, where we kind of dove into some of these labels in this kind of spectrum of entwinement. But yeah, I I think that, I mean, hopefully you've already had a conversation about these things with your existing partners and you have that information, but also making sure that you're getting that information from the new person as well you know, getting a sense of their thoughts, their feelings, their preferences, and then finding a way to collaborate from there, right? Because, because yeah, I mean, sometimes people just assume we're all on the same page. Sometimes people assume, oh, if I'm not down to come to the kitchen table, I'm a bad polyamorous person or mm. a bad partner or things like that. And really, you know, it's just kind of about getting curious about what everyone's comfortable with, what they're interested in, what their values are, and like, how can we find something that kind of roughly meets everybody's needs. If there's a way to do like a radar check-in or add this to your existing radar, if you already have one going on in your relationships, if you have an other partner's section of your radar, which many of us do in non-monogamous relationships, or some of us call it like the friend section or other relationship section, In there, that might be a great time if you don't have another existing relationship to talk about what it's going to be like when you do have a new relationship. Maybe brainstorm together some ways that you're going to make sure that each of you check in with what's going on in that relationship, with how you're going to make each other feel special and loved and seen, and even discuss the times when It might be challenging for each of you. Are there specific things that maybe you want 
in those moments and you're not going to be able to preemptively know what all of those things are going to be. But to kind of have a game plan beforehand, I think, is a nice idea. And you can do that in a monthly check-in. And yeah, the monthly check-in part of the radar is great because then you get to keep checking in and modifying over time too, Yeah, right? Because your levels of NRE are going to change, you know, how their feeling is going to change. And it's it's hard as the other part to know how you're going to feel in advance, right? So knowing that you've got regular check-ins where you'll get to bring stuff up as that the other partner can be really helpful. So if you're the hinge just making sure you're staying on top of doing those check-ins and radars can go a long way, I think. That's a great suggestion. To wrap up, we just want to say thank you to everyone who submitted your questions. We always really appreciate getting to hear you know, what's going on for everyone. In our Discord server and in our private Facebook group, people are always bringing up stuff and chatting with each other, but we love it when you bring it to us to get to talk about on this show because it helps us learn what matters. It inspires us for future episodes to do in you know much more detail, uh, as well as just getting to explore all these different things. So thank you all so much for that. And also, quick thank you to everyone who came to our live in-person book signing events. Uh, we had such a fun time in Seattle and Los Angeles doing those. We'd love to come to more places, hopefully, maybe later in the year or early next year. Uh, but just thank you to everyone who did come out. We had such a blast seeing you all in person and getting to talk to you. All right. For our question of the week this week, we want to ask everyone on our Instagram story, how do you help established relationships feel loved and reassured when you are beginning a new relationship? And I even extend this to say your friends, right? Like, how do you make sure that your friends still feel valued when you start a new relationship? That's a good one for us all to think about. Mm -hmm. The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is in our episode discussion channel in our Discord server, or you can post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Emily Matlack, and me, Jace Lindgren. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowark and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.